I want to share with you the scripture reading before Pastor Neil comes. If you don't have your own Bible or Bible on your uh, mobile device, the Bible in the pew in front of you on page 1069, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 25. Hang on and don't fall asleep. It's a long one. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision 
in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What's the ugliest place you've ever seen? Now stop looking around next to you. I said place, not person. (laughs) Ugliest place, most desolate, barren wasteland you've ever laid eyes on. Can you think of one? Most of us have seen an ugly place or two. Ugliest place I ever saw, well, I used to think it was the, the Mojave in South California. You hear, think of Southern California, you think of palm trees and all, but if you move away from the, from the shore a ways and kind of come inland, it gets downright ugly. But that was before I drove through Highway 119 in Utah. Now, there's part of Highway 119 that's quite nice and has lots of character. And then there's part of it that just doesn't. So, uh, the little line that stretches up north out of the picture there, that's Highway 119. That little greenish spot down in the bottom right corner, that's Arches National Park. Maybe you've seen pictures of it or been there. It's got uh, rock formations, arches carved out of stone. Uh, Really a beautiful and fascinating desertous place. Uh, There's Canyonlands National Park nearby with lots of neat canyons. Uh, The Grand Canyon is kind of located southwest of there. But this road that goes up north of Arches National Park travels through... Uh, that road is visible on this map too. You see the kind of mountainous area off to the uh, top left there, or top right, sorry, or your other left. And then there's kind of a, I don't know, upside down V or an A that's kind of a grayish area. Well, Highway 119 drives through, the, it must be like a giant gulch or something. And, and as you're driving through there, that's your view. And that looks like spring compared to when I drove through it. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about just gray rock. I mean, we didn't even see a bird. <laughs> I don't think anything lived out there. It was just a barren, ugly wasteland. And, uh, but fortunately, we were driving to the mountains of Wyoming that day. So by the end of the day, things were much improved. But... There when the day of driving started, things were pretty ugly. Sometimes our life journey takes us through some pretty barren places as well, doesn't it? Uh, We get a cancer diagnosis. We get, well, uh, we lose our job. We have depression set in. Uh, you just find yourself falling deeper and deeper into debt. Or your marriage hits the rocks. Or your family, every time you go home, it's just arguing, arguing, arguing. 
some of us we have that voice that whispers in our ear constantly that you're just not good enough you're just not good enough you won't measure up some of us have abuse from our past that haunts us still some of us have had the doctor like Elizabeth that we just heard about uh, tell us that we won't be able to have kids or there's an addiction you can't seem to, to kick. The list could go on and on. But it's that despair, that barren place that we all experience sometime or another. If you live long enough in this life, you'll find some barren places, won't you? Places where hope seems all but laughable. We've all been there. We've all experienced that. Or if we haven't, we will. And when you get there, a lot of times we ask a lot of why questions. Why them? Or why me? Or why can't I figure this out? Or why didn't God stop this? Or why won't he fix this? This sermon's not really designed to answer those questions, but if you ever find yourself facing those questions, I hope you'll come visit with me about it, and we can talk through some of it. I can help you find books by really smart and compassionate people that have dealt with that subject and all the why questions, but no one will have all the answers to all the whys this side of, of heaven, but there's certainly some working through that that can take place. But we all find ourselves in those situations where we ask those questions and we deal with barren places and sometimes our, our typical answers, our Christianisms, if you will, things like, well, when God closes the door, he, yeah, we all know him, uh, things like God is in control and, uh, and a long list of other ones, while they may contain some truth, they also and they may be well-intentioned, but sometimes they do more harm than good to the people who find themselves in those barren places. And they hear that, and instead of being comforted, they wonder, well, if God's in control, or if God's doing this, then, I mean, is he just messing with me? Does he even care? So what hope is there in these barren places and that is the subject of this message. And let me, or actually let Elizabeth, introduce us today to a certain characteristic of God. We're starting this Christmas series today called First Christmas. And it's just, we're going to look at a few characters over the next few weeks. Characters from the Christmas narrative. And this first Character is a lady whose name was Elizabeth. And some of the characters that we'll look at in weeks to come, the people that we'll talk about, were, are more famous, perhaps, than Elizabeth. We, if we grow up in church, we hear her story, but she's not as publicly known. You don't see her in the nativities around town and things like that. But she's a part of this story. And she has something to say to us today, I believe, about God. So Elizabeth, an older relative 
of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth, married to Zechariah the priest. And Elizabeth, who was shamed and disgraced in her time and in her community because she wasn't able to have children. For Elizabeth, her barren place was quite literally her womb. Now we all know people who have faced this difficult diagnosis in their own life and in our own day. And so we're well aware of the pain, emotionally, spiritually even, that it causes. But I want you to imagine for a moment that that pain is magnified for Elizabeth by the fact that in her day and time, things were much different. Imagine that she faced cultural pressures and stigmas that we can hardly even fathom because of the situation that she had. Now today, in our, in our day and time, lots of people choose not to have kids. And, there's, and most people choose to have small families of one to three kids. And if you don't, if you buck the norm, if you have more kids than that, you raise eyebrows a little bit, don't you? And if you really get carried away, you probably get your own TV show. But in Elizabeth's day and time, and honestly, her day and time is much more representative of the history of civilization, uh, even today in other parts of the world, than our own time and space. But for her, large families were the norm. And this was for good reason, because in her day and time, the size of your family was usually directly correlated to your economic situation, your income, your ability to provide for your family, to have security in a very insecure world. And definitely, as you grew older, it was those kids that you had who would continue the family business and support and take care of you in your older years as, you, as your health declined and so forth. Most families had a family business, carpentry, fishing, so forth. So the more kids, especially sons, that you had, then the more fish you could catch, the more furniture you could build, and so forth. So therefore, the better off your family was. Uh, the closest correlation, I guess, today for our culture, our day and time, would be like level of education and the way our society views that. You know, if you have a graduate degree of some kind, then our society has certain expectations for you, and we just assume you're probably going to be all right. Your income will be stable, and you'll be taken care of. You'll have a nice retirement. Uh, if, you, if you graduate college with an undergrad degree, there's a certain expectation for you that you know, probably you'll do okay. If you uh, just have your high school diploma or, or a GED, then you know, that's another level. And then if you dropped out of high school, then people have certain expectations for your life as well, don't they? And if you didn't even hardly make it to there and you're just you're illiterate and that's what you, the, you face, it's a, we consider that an uphill battle. And we don't 
as a society expect that you'll be able to provide much or that you'll have much of security in this world. We just have certain expectations, stigmas, even pressures that go along with education, don't we? And kids feel that pressure as they're coming up through school. But that's about where the comparison ends because, I mean, for one, you can always go back and get your GED. You can always go back and go to school and get a diploma or a degree. But if you can't have kids, you can't have kids. Not only that, but this had religious and and even like superstitious kind of implications in Elizabeth's day. And many people in her day and time would have considered someone who was cursed in this way for it probably to have been for some kind of reason. Maybe they had sin in their life. Maybe their parents had sin in their life. They just had some views on it like that. They considered if you had a lot of kids, you were a particularly blessed person of God. If you didn't have a lot of kids, you weren't. And if you didn't have any kids, well. So you can imagine for Elizabeth, married to a priest, and to have all these suspicions cast her away for her whole life. It'd be like being a pastor's wife and having the whole church assume that you're living in some kind of sin. So can you imagine the pain that already comes with her circumstance, then magnified over and over again by the culture that she lived in? It was a barren place indeed, a deep and inescapable hopelessness. We don't know whether Elizabeth had really come to grips for sure that she would never have kids, but we can probably assume so. Uh, Certainly, her husband, Zechariah, seems to have come to that place where he had written it off as ever being possible because usually when an angel of the Lord shows up and tells you something, you don't go second-guessing him, is, is my guess. But Apparently, Zechariah had come to a point where he had so written off the possibility of ever having kids that his response to the angel Gabriel was, Are you sure? (laughs) How can I be sure of this? To which Gabriel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true in their proper time. That's called a rebuke, my friends. But Zechariah and Elizabeth were about to experience one of the coolest things about God. Namely, hope. For nothing is impossible with God. That's what this same angel Gabriel spoke a few months later to Mary, the mother of Jesus, when he brought her the news that she would be the mother of the Son of God. And Gabriel, knowing, I guess, that that news must come as a shock to just about any mortal, said to to Mary, as reassurance, he said, 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. In fact, friends, God seems to excel at bringing good things out of bad situations. For Elizabeth, all the shame, all the disgrace was wiped away in an instant as she gave birth to not only a son, but to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, a man whom Jesus himself later said, no greater man has ever been born to woman than John. And Elizabeth responded to God, saying, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Do you find yourself in a barren place today? Maybe not as deeply hopeless as Elizabeth's situation seemed, or maybe. Certainly we all face such times, and that comes with the territory of living in this world, because, I mean, yes, there is much good in this world, and we can thank God for that. But there's also much bad and much evil in this world. And for that, we can thank ourselves And we can thank the devil himself. So long as we live here, we're we're promised troubles and hardships. And sometimes we even face hardships because of our faith. But friends, I stand here to tell you today that we serve a God who delights and bringing life from barren places. And bringing light into our darkness. And bringing beauty from the ashes. Life from barren places. Light into our darkness. Beauty from ashes. And so when we face times where hope seems completely absent and when we or people we love experience suffering or grief or tragedy or that diagnosis that they didn't deserve we have choices I guess everyone has these choices you can embrace hopelessness Some people do it, right? They just embrace the fact that there is no hope. The fact is they perceive it. We can fight the best we can. You know the old adage, if life gives you lemons, then just make lemonade, right? That sounds nice, and some of us like to believe that we're that tough. But I'm sorry, when the... When the lemons you're handed are rotten, (laughs) I don't care how much sugar you add to that stuff, it's still not going to taste good. 
But I believe there's a third option. We can embrace the God who brings good out of evil. We can embrace the God for whom nothing is impossible. Perhaps you're familiar with this verse found in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Let's read that together. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Do you see what this means? If you place your faith and love in Jesus, you always have hope. If you place your faith and your love in Jesus, you always have hope. Certainly, troubles will come. And in many ways, evil still runs rampant. But evil's fate is also written. And we know who reigns victorious in the end, because that's already decided. And we serve a God who (laughs) excels at bringing life from the most barren of places. So what do you do? What do you do when you get that scary diagnosis? I would suggest that you cry out to the God who brings life out of barren places. And what do you do when you find yourself drowning in grief or despair? Cry out to the God who brings light into your darkness. What do you do when tragedy strikes you or someone you love? You cry out to the God who brings beauty from ashes. Now the answer to your prayer may not come in the same head-shakingly amazing way that it came for Elizabeth, or it might. But this is what I believe. That as long as God is on His throne, and as long as Jesus is the King above all kings and all powers in this world and in the spiritual realms then there is hope for those of us who put our faith and our love in Him. Amen? So, I want to challenge you that when you find yourself in barren places, respond in prayer. And maybe you or someone you know is in such a place today. And I would challenge you to respond in prayer today. Because what a friend we have in Jesus. And one of these days, perhaps it'll be you standing up with Elizabeth saying, The Lord has done this for me. In these days, He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. These messages are are fun to preach. Because everyone loves hope. (laughs) But I think it's also important to mention that we not forget that these promises 
are for people who have put their faith and their love in Jesus Christ. And perhaps today you're here and you're hungry for hope, but you haven't done that. And I want to challenge you to do so. Would you consider praying to Him now and placing your hope in the one who gives life into barren places? Choose Jesus and His way today. Admit to Him that you've had it all wrong and you need His forgiveness for your past and His help for your future. Determine today to stop doing life on your own terms or by your own power. And instead, embrace the Holy Spirit's help. And if you choose God today, whether you do it at your seat or at one of the altars that are pushed to the side, I hope that you'll come and talk to me about the next step of your faith. The non-negotiable next step of your faith. Sometimes we forget to talk about it, but it's a beautiful thing called baptism, and I'd like to share with you about it. So, with that said, let's all bow our heads and pray together. Our God of hope, we thank you, God, not for getting us out of every bit of trouble that we ever get in, not for making our lives a bed of roses. But God, for being there and for being our hope and for giving us hope in spite of circumstances we may face in this world, to know that one day, ultimately, we'll be with you in a better situation, in a better place. We believe that, we hope that, we trust that because you told us so. And because we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And he reigns now as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so there's always hope. And you say, God, that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Those of us who believe in you and who love you with our lives, God, not just with our lips. You promise us that even in the worst, bleakest moments of our lives, you will be at work in those terrible situations to bring something good from it. And so there's always hope. Even in the meantime, on this side of heaven, there is hope because you are our God. And so we love you, God. Who else is like you? No one. For nothing is impossible with our God. We pray this by the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen.